All right, let's open up our Bibles. First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 31. That's First Samuel chapter 31. First Samuel 31. This is the end of our study through First Samuel. Uh, I, I love going through books in the Bible. That's where I'm, as a preacher, I'm passionate about it. I get a little even emotional at the end of books because I have to say bye. Not that I can't ever read First Samuel again. I'm allowed still. But, uh, I mean, we've spent a lot of times in it. This, I believe if I'm, I'm right number-wise, this is sermon number 32 between Andy and I going through First Samuel. But uh, kind of give you a, a preview of where we're going. So we're finishing today. And then next week we start the book of James. We're going to do James over the summer. We will have the journal Bibles that we've been giving you guys uh, next week on the resource table for James, so you can follow along with us, take notes in the sermon during the sermon directly in that. And then, Lord willing, at the end of the summer, we'll finish James. We will go back to Second Samuel, because the reality is, the First and Second Samuel are actually one book. We've separated it over years as far as how the Bible is lined up. But yeah, so we're, uh, we're going to pick up 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to really get to know David on a much more personal level uh, in 2 Samuel. All right, so we're at 1 Samuel chapter 31. We'll read as we go. Uh, two of the darkest days in U.S. history. December 7th, 1941, the attack on what? Pearl Harbor. And September 11th, 2001, terrorist attack on our nation. Those are dark days in our history. Uh, days that uh, most of us know, even when you said those dates instantly, there was recognition to the date. And the reason why they were so dark, it's more than just the lives lost. Though that clearly makes those days dark for the thousands that died on those days. But it was the overall impact it had on the national psyche. It rattled us as nations, as a nation. It, it, it brought new fears. It blurred the future in those moments. You didn't anticipate this coming. Even now, these days in our nation can trigger feelings of heartache and loss as one ponders them, especially how close you're related. I mean, I, I've known people who lost loved ones at September 11th. You might have, you know, relatives and grandparents or great-grandparents who were at Pearl Harbor when it happened. It's very personal, very real. Well, today's chapter is one of the darkest days in the history of Israel. They lose their king, they lose many men, they lose some of their cities, and they appear to have lost God's blessing upon his nation. By the end of the chapter, chapter you're asking, is God done with Israel? It's a dark day. It's what we just sung. Lord, from sorrows deep I call. It's that kind of moment that we're going to see as we end our time in First Samuel, the darkest of days. Uh, as we break down the, the chapter, we're going to begin by seeing the agony of defeat, the agony of or in defeat. I can't 
overemphasize how horrible what happens is happening. It's terrible, and we're going to really try to dig into that. And why is this such a big deal? So we're going to see the agony and defeat. Secondly, we're going to see mockery by enemies. It's bad enough that Israel loses handily to the Philistines. They mock it. They mock God. They mock the people. It is, it is truly discouraging. And then we'll wrap up our time by seeing the defending of honor. Out of nowhere, there's going to be a, a semblance of, of good, a, a sense of it's not over in the midst of the chapter. All right, so let's begin. Let's pick up as we see the agony in defeat. Now, if you remember last week, we were on a roller coaster ride with David, you recall. So, the end of chapter 29, God spares David from who? Himself. He was on the brink of having to go to war as an ally with the Philistines against Saul, against the people that he's supposed to be king. And God saves them because the lords of the Philistines say, we are not going with the guy that's got that trendy top 20 song about David's killed tens of thousands and the tens of thousands would have been Philistines. And we're going to go to battle with the guy that's killed tens of thousands of Philistines. Not happening. So God protects him. He saves him. So it seems like, okay, things are great. And three days later, he gets back home. Probably from a distance, they saw smoke. The village is burnt to the ground. Wife and kids are gone. They've taken all the the people. It got so bad that these loyal men that had been with him through thick and thin, they said, let's stone David. Let's stone him. It's his fault this is happening. And in the midst of all that, we saw David, what he strengthened himself in the Lord. He sought the Lord's guidance in the situation. They go and rescue and get the, the, the kids, the wives. They actually return and they actually have spoil as a result of it. So that's how we ended the chapter. So right around the same time. So this is happening at different locations. This is where we find ourselves Well, as we see the agony and defeat, first thing I want us to take note is this was promised, okay? It says, now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. God had warned this was going to happen. First Samuel 28, 19, remember Saul went to the witch of Endor, do you recall? And Samuel ends up coming and giving this word to Saul, and this is what he said on behalf of the Lord. The Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. As a result of Saul's disobedience, judgment was coming. Why is that significant? Because I, I think we need to realize God makes warnings and he follows through on his warnings. I mean, we know parents who don't, right? You might be that parent where you give the threats to your kids, right? 
if you do that, this is going to happen, and you're not going to get this. And, and you've said those warnings enough that your kids know mom or dad doesn't always deliver on the warning. So they kind of nod their head, and they're like, yeah, we're still going to get that. Or there's, this, there's, there's a lack of trust that it will actually come to pass. Friends, that is not the case with God. He warns if there's not re- re- repentance, if there's not obedience, he will deliver on the punishment. And I think that's very significant for you and I because we live in a world, we live even amongst Christians and churches that have completely eradicated the concept of hell. Because I think this is what people are thinking, they're hoping, they're kind of crossing their fingers. Yeah, God, he warns us a lot. But at the end of the day, he's going to come and say that hell thing, I can't do that, I love you too much. And everybody come in and hell's going to be empty. And that is not the case. God will deliver on his promises of judgment. We see it here. He delivers with Saul and he is surely going to deliver for all those that do not turn to Christ. But also notice not only that he delivers on the judgment, notice that his disobedience impacts a bunch of people. I think we downplay that. Listen to all these people that it's, it's impact. It, the Philistines lose. It, his sons die. It's, every, it's not just Saul that's punished. And we need to understand that that is how sin works. We can't compartmentalize our sin and our disobedience so much that it only impacts you. And it does have no bearing on anybody else. That's, that's not the case. And we think about it in the health sense. What's secondhand smoke? Secondhand smoke is a person that is regularly around smoke that somebody else is smoking. We see this often with parents. With young kids, the kids might develop uh, lung issues and even asthma because they're constantly around secondhand smoke. Well, that's kind of how sin works and judgment and disobedience, secondhand reality. It's, It's impacting everybody. Sin's consequences go well beyond you. Well, do you believe in God's warnings? Do you believe it? Is God going to really judge? I mean, at the end of the day, are you and I going to really stand before God? Are there going to be real people cast to hell for all eternity? Because if you believe it, then you have to ask, how is it making a difference in my life? How is it changing how I live? How is it changing how I view people who I think right now are still under the trajectory of such judgment? Because not only is this promised, this was painful. Keep reading with me. Verse 3. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. So imagine he's, he's on this Mount Jilboa. He's going up it. The Philistines are coming from down, and they're shooting up at him. People over across the valley, and we're going to see a little bit, are some of God's people. They're witnessing this unfold. So this is a, a disaster Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Remember, we've seen a pattern that nobody wants to lay a hand on Saul. Why? Because he is God's anointed. And even his armor bearer is like, I'm not taking your life. So he doesn't do it. 
Saul ends up taking his own life. He took the sword and he fell upon it. And now his armor bearer sees that Saul is dead. He also does what? He takes his life. He fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his city's sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled and the Philistines came and lived in them. Sad moment in God's people, is it not? God's anointed is killed, Saul. His three sons die, and he actually has to experience the pain of the fact that his three sons. So it's not like Saul died, then his three sons. No, his three sons died, and then Saul had to die after. He ends up committing suicide. The Bible, we're not going to digress and talk about suicide. The Bible doesn't comment anything on it. It's just a simple fact. Saul kills himself, and so does his armor bearer. But then the big thing, I think the thing we really need to, to wrap our, our minds around is at the end of verse 7. They abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. Elijah Blankenberger, uh, I, I read an article about this young boy. He was 11 years old, I believe, at the time. He went to baseball, uh, Major League Baseball training camp. I think it was down in Florida. And one of the things this young boy, he's a, he's a, he plays baseball himself. I guess he's pretty good at it. He loves to collect autographs. So he brought his autographs. He brought his cards. And he got, like, his favorite player of the Yankees. I don't even remember the guy's name. Uh, he got his autograph. It was just a really good, exciting day. Uh, well, somehow in the midst of the rest of the day, I guess he'd been carrying him like between his arm and his, his, his elbow. He went to grab it, gone. So yeah, so like all of these autographs and they did not find him, just did not. So he lost them all. His mom posted on it over the course of the next like two months, he got autographs from everybody. Even the person, the main person he got, he got like a, a customized autograph directly sent to him from that baseball player. People were sending him. So a lot of substitutes. It was good, but it was, it was really painful for this young boy. He lost something that was so precious. See, here's the problem with our passage. There's no substitute. There's no fill-in making up for it. What are they losing they're losing the promised land. Do you get that? They're losing the promised land. Abraham, Genesis 12, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, you know, you're going to come here and this is going to, you're going to have a people and a, a place. And they're in the land finally. Listen to what Joshua 24, 13 declared. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. They're in the land, and notice what it says at the end of verse 6, 7. They abandoned the cities and fled. Are you starting to get the magnitude of how tragic this chapter is? They're leaving not only the promised land for all intended purposes, they are leaving the promises of God. They're leaving the blessing of God. And these are the pains of unfaithfulness. Do you see how great 
the loss is amongst God's people. But it's not just that. So we see the agony of defeat. It's painful. It's promise. Well, let's look at the mockery by the enemies. Read verse 8 to 10 with me. Just as Saul had feared they would mistreat him, that surely happens. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his wall to the, his body to the wall of Bethshan. You see how callous they are? They're savage. They're, they're barbaric. They, they cut off his head. Now, this might be paybacks for something we saw in 1 Samuel. What did David do to Goliath, their champ? Cut his head off. And it was like, okay, you cut our champ. We're going to cut your king's head off. So they cut off his head. They took his armor, which would include his royal garments. They took that Right here, there's an emphasis on it was to Saul, but we can read elsewhere where he also ended up taking the three sons. And they, we don't know if they beheaded all three sons, but they definitely put them up on the wall. And I think what we start seeing here is this is what people are capable of and what they're capable of doing towards those who are images, image bearers of God. I mean, last week we had, or a week and a half ago, two horrible public shootings in Buffalo. Guy, and it's looking more and more as they kind of unpacked it, uh, it was racially motivated. He goes into a grocery store and just shoots and kills people. People had never done anything to him, but just because of hate and sin in his life. And then last week, I think it, during church in California, guy came in and, and shot people. I mean, that should not surprise us. To be honest, I think we should be surprised that there is not more callous, barbaric violence in the world that we live. Because Paul warns of this, Romans 128, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. Well, one, are you saddened by the sinfulness of man? Are you surprised by it? Are you grateful that you maybe are not participating in that? Because it's only by the grace of God. Do you understand that? That even though these people are so barbaric, it's a symptom of a problem. And the problem is these people don't know the Lord. And they're led by these debased minds. They're led by Satan. And we're seeing the manifestation of that with regards to what they do. But not only are they callous, they're celebratory. Listen to what it says. It, it's so startling. They sent messengers through the land of the Philistines to carry the, what word does it say? The gospel. Because that's what we say in the New Testament, right? The good news, the gospel to the, fair, to the Philistines, this was the gospel. This was good news to them. Notice where they sent some of their spoils. They sent it to the house of their idols. 
They sent it to the temple of Ashtaroth. It, it believes they had, we, we believe they had multiple uh, gods they followed. We know Dagon, if you recall. But then Ashtaroth would have been something tied to the Egyptians. And it looks like they also embraced that. So they, they were embracing all sorts of gods, these Philistines. And they were celebrating Psalm 42.10, it says, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And their acts are basically taunting the Israelites and God. That they've won. That they're, 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 they're victors, that their God defeated Yahweh. That's what it looks like. I mean, let's be honest, it looks horrible public relations-wise. And we see companies all the time where somebody says something wrong or they do something wrong and immediately they hire a what? A PR firm. And the PR firm does what? They do everything in their power to spin it differently, to explain it away, to, I mean, we talked about a couple months ago, Will Smith. He is on a circuit of interviews. People aren't perfect. I'm really sorry. It was a bad decision. The amazing thing with God is God doesn't need a PR firm. God is comfortable enough in his godness that he's willing to make himself on the surface look bad. Looks like he lost. Did he lose? No, God has everybody right where they need to be. Saul losing is going to be the catalyst for David taking over the throne because that's the king that God wants in the, the, the ruling and the reigning. And that king is going to be the one that Jesus comes from. But it looks bad, and yet God is confident enough to allow situations like that to happen because it's more important to the Lord to teach his people to carry out his will than to make himself look good in the world's eyes. So it looks like Yahweh is lost. Well, does God allow his people to lose and suffer? Does God have a purpose and a reason why he does that? So we see the agony of defeat, promised and painful loss. We see the mockery by the enemies, their callous, their celebratory. Well, I think in the midst of all that, there is a little glimmer of hope. And the hope is we see the defending of honor Read verses 11 to 13 with me. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the body of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the Tamaric tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. First thing that we see is they cannot turn a blind eye to the past. They cannot turn a blind eye to the past. Why are these men risking so much to go help Saul and his son's bodies? Why? Imagine with me, you're in high school and you just get picked on and picked on and picked on and picked on by the biggest bully in the school. And it's just relentless and you're dreading school and you, you're constantly scared. And, and then one day as you're getting picked on, somebody steps up to the bully and says, enough, you're done. And they, they, they put a scare in the bully. 
And then from that point forward, the bully no longer picks on you. If something was ever happened to that person who stood up for you, are you going to do anything about it? Are you going to maybe feel a sense of, of gratitude, a sense of, of paying back because of what that individual had done for you? What's well, a little like that? Because if you remember 1 Samuel chapter 11, there was this guy named Nahash the Ammonite. Do you remember him? He came in, he besieged their town, and he gave them a really good deal. Do you remember the deal? I will make a treaty with you. Here's the catch. I get to gouge out the right eye of every single person. They hear the, hear the treaty option. They said, okay, um, that's something to ponder. Can we check around to see if anybody might step in and fight you? And he's so arrogant. He's so cocky. He's like, yeah, go ahead. You have your time. But then at the end of this, if it doesn't happen, I'm gouging out a whole bunch of eyes. Like, the eye patch business is going to be great in your area because everybody's going to have one eye. Well, and then in that, so 1 Samuel 11.2, he goes on, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon who? Saul. And he comes, he gathers up all the, the he, he kind of threatens all of Israel, what will happen to them if they don't join him. They all join, and he sends word, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. And he goes and he delivers them against the Ammonites. So years later, and I mean, Saul, we've seen it. He's a bad king. He's not a good guy. But there was a sense of gratitude, a sense of celebration for who this man was at one point. Because this was the good years of Saul. This was when Saul was led by the Spirit and he was being used as an instrument of God. And notice what they do. They, 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 first of all, he deserves greater honor than what they've done to him. They take his body, they burn it. They end up taking the bones, they bury it. We, we see a lot of the, the focus of bones in the Old Testament, specifically because they believed in an afterlife. They believed in eternity. They also believed in the idea that it would take place in the promised land in some capacity. So they wanted the bones in their land, not in Philistine land. Well, do you have gratitude towards those who have done good to you? Do you repay honor with honor? Do you repay uh, those who have, who have who've done uh, gracious things to you? But here's the deal. It's, it's not simply that they turn a blind eye on the past. And I think this is significant. They turn a blind eye to the blasphemy of God. Because I think it's more than just Saul. It's more than just a kind of a, a sense of gratitude and, and paying back for what Saul had done and, and, and his sons. I think at the end of the day, they see the enemies of God mocking God, mocking his people as if they defeated God and they said, enough is enough. We're not going to tolerate this anymore. And they go and they do something about it. We see that celebrated in the Old Testament elsewhere with other people. Do you remember Phineas in the book of Numbers? God's people had morphed into some just perversion of God's intent and they were regularly 
worshiping pagan gods through prostitution. And Phineas sees it and he says, enough is enough. I can't tolerate this anymore. And he goes and spears the man and the woman together and it, it stops God's judgment upon the people. Numbers 25, 11. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest had turned back my wrath from the people of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. And I think what we celebrate with Phineas, what we celebrate here with the men of Jabesh Gilead is they were jealous for God. That God's glory must matter to his people. He must be glorified. His honor must be defended. We must stand up for what God stands up for. We can't ignore it. I think many of us as Christians have lost that kind of theology. That we're kind of okay with God's glory being diminished by this culture and world. We turn a blind eye to things like abortion. We turn a blind eye to other stuff. We just, we, we, we want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to straddle the fence where we want to make a difference in the world. Ultimately, we want to kind of be embraced by the world, but somehow in the midst of all of that, we want to be faithful in the world. You can't have it all. You need to be willing to stand for God, to stand for his glory. And we see this with these men. This wasn't a large group of men. These weren't like the elite fighting forces of Israel that came in to save. No, they saw Saul. They saw his sons being mocked after death. They saw Yahweh being blasphemed. And they said, enough is enough. We got to do something about it. Well, where is that kind of passion in your life for God and his glory? What are you willing to stand up for? Are you just trying to straddle the fence? I think the church is often filled with that, fence straddlers. We don't want to rock the boat because if we don't rock the boat, over time we'll get all the world to be a part of what we're doing. No, it's the gospel's offensive, guys. It just is. It's an aroma of life. It's a, it's a beautiful fragrance to the believer. And you know what it is to the, to the unbeliever? It's the aroma of death. Have you ever smelled something that's been dead? It reeks. And that's what the gospel is to the unbeliever. I think we began our time, we reflected on two of the darkest days in U.S. history. Pearl Harbor, September 11th. But I would argue the darkest day in human history, besides the fall in the garden, is what? What's the worst day in history? on the surface. The, the cross, right? It's a no-brainer. We murdered the Son of God. The only sinless one to be nailed on a cross by sinful men between sinful men. It doesn't get worse and more tragic. We saw earlier where they're beheading Saul after he's dead and, you know, they strap up his body. Jesus still alive. They flogged him. They spit on him. They mocked him. Do you understand? That was the worst day in human history. It doesn't get more worse. It doesn't get more tragic. But we know that that dark day did not last forever. And it brought, I would argue, the greatest day in history. And that's what? The resurrection. It resulted in the salvation of sinners. 
Because here's the deal, because, you know, mind you, we're taking time out. So we're done with 31 today. We're not going to pick up until September. And it does look, it does feel like Yahweh lost. And like, whoa, this is awful. Understand this. This is not the end of the story. Second Samuel comes. They lose a king. They lose men. They lose cities. It's sad and tragic. It's depressing. There's no way to spin it. I can't spin doctor it any other way and make it sound all great in that. But the silver lining is God's going to replace the king that dies with the king after his own heart. And it's going to be David. And for a season, David is going to be an awesome king. He's going to be glorious. But we're going to see David at his worst. Not even that long into it, he's going to commit adultery. He's going to have the husband murder. It's, it's a mess. And, and, it, it, and, it, and the consequences of that go on and on and on. But he's going to fail. But, and here's the big picture. Here's the good news. Even as we were talking this week, as Ryan and I were working through music, I was like, like do you have any songs that we can kind of be happy? Because like, this is kind of like, I was like, like this is just a bad chapter in the Bible. Like there's nothing really good. Apart from these guys saving the honor of Saul, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's rough. That's why even I like suggested like Psalm 42 before it, because like it's, it's kind of the, the tone of this chapter. It's dark. But one day there's going to be somebody who sits on that throne after David. And he's going to sit and he's going to reign forever and ever and he won't fail. And that's Jesus. And that's why even chapter 31, though it's depressing, it's glorious. Why? Because we know Jesus is coming. Not only is Jesus coming, he came. He came and he's coming back. And that's King Jesus. That's who we worship. That's who we follow. And God's not done with us, people. He never has, never will. Even in the silence and loss, even in the darkest days, friends, the sunshine will come. So whether on a personal level, you are in a dark days today as a result of whatever it is, sickness, relational turmoil, sin, you name it, God is not done with you. He's not done. He doesn't turn a blind eye to you, and he'll never turn a blind eye to his glory. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now, and we just thank you. We thank you that even in the dark days, even in the, the tragic times in the Bible where we read and we're like, I cannot believe that happened. I can't believe you allowed that to happen. I don't understand what you're doing. If I was God, I would probably have, have done it different. Well, praise the Lord that we aren't God because your ways are perfect and good and you work all things for the good. And we can rest in you. We can trust in you. So we celebrate that truth. We thank you, God, that though Saul dies, we know David's going to sit on the throne. And though David eventually dies, we know Jesus came and he still sits on the throne. And we look forward to when King Jesus comes back and makes all things new. We pray in his glorious and precious name. Amen.